Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and would you stand with me as we read our text together this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You may be seated. Last week, we saw in the first chapter, or the first half of chapter six, that the members of the church of Corinth were taking one another to court. They were suing one another. And we saw that the culture of Corinth was a sue happy culture. They had lawsuits for everything that you can think of. If someone, you know, maybe looked at you bad, you would take them to court. And, um, but this kind of worldly thinking of just taking everyone to court was, was starting to infiltrate the church. And instead of it being, you know, just two unbelievers battling a disagreement in court, two members of the body of Christ, believers, were going at it in court. And again, instead of handling it, within the context of the church, or as Matthew 18 tells us to handle disagreements with one another and sins against one another, they turned it into a public spectacle in the secular courts to rule in a matter that, again, that could have easily been handled by the church. And again, this church here in Corinth had been filled with so much carnality that they were digressing. They were imitating the world. They were looking more like the world than the body of Christ. And they saw no issue with just suing one another in front of the watching world. And Paul there challenged them. He says, lay down your pride. Set aside your hurt for just a moment. He said, why not rather just be wronged? Everyone's watching, right? The glory of God is, you know, is at stake here. Why not just be defrauded? Are your rights more important than your witness, we asked last week? 
And Paul told them, why not just let it go? And the principle that we saw is just don't let someone else's sin lead you into sin. Just because they wronged you or they cheated you doesn't mean you have to respond that same way. But the Corinthians, they weren't careful on how they responded. They loved their rights. They, you know, they wanted to get thirds and get even. They saw no problem with it. And Paul says, you might win your court case. You, you have legal standing. You might win your court case, but you're going to lose the greater battle here. You're going to lose your witness. And the Corinthians thought, sure, you know, we're not doing you know, our brother and sister who are taking to court any, any good, but you know, it's not that bad. And isn't that how we all, maybe not you, but me, try to justify our sins sometimes. We try to compare it, you know, to the sins of one another. And we, we have bitterness in our hearts and animosity towards someone in the church. But we justify ourselves and we said, well, well at least I didn't kill anyone, right? Like, like that's the standard. Like at least that, you know, it's not like their sin. But Paul made it very clear when he says, don't be deceived. Why do you think he had to say, don't be deceived? Because there was deception happening in the church. There were those being deceived. They thought that they could be saved, kind of have the get out of hell free card, if you will, and just act like the pagan world and thinking that God was totally fine with that. And Paul told them, check yourselves. And he reminded them, he says, guys, you've been washed. You've been, you've been sanctified, right? You, you're, you're a people group that's been set apart for God, by God. You've been justified. Like this is, you have right standing before God just as if you'd never sinned. This is a work that God has done for you and this is yours. And so Paul reminded the believers, hey, church, live in such a way that resembles who you are. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. If Christ forgave you, why not forgive others? If Christ didn't hold your record of wrongs against you, don't hold someone else's record of wrongs against them. But that was not the extent of the church's issues. One major issue that was very problematic was in the area of sexual immorality. And if you're just joining us, this is going to be new to you. If you're not, if you've been here the whole time in our Corinthian study, you, you're, you're not new to this. You know this. Corinth as we've been talking about, was a very sexually charged city. The city was known and had a reputation for being a place of sexual immorality and promiscuity. The known and accepted religion of their day was the worship of Aphrodite, the sex goddess. One historian writes that the temple of Aphrodite was so rich, the temple, this is the, the local religion was so rich that it owned over a thousand prostitutes, both men and women. And these prostitutes were dedicated to the service of their sex goddess. And on any given day, these prostitutes were found walking the streets of the city, trying to enslave and recruit any and everyone to join their religion. The culture of Corinth was depraved, to say the least. And listen, that shouldn't surprise us. We see many similarities of the, of the city of Corinth to our own culture today, don't we? The sins of Corinth definitely resemble the sins of Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco. And again, though, church, this should not surprise us. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like, <laughs> this shouldn't surprise us. Why? This shouldn't shock us. Why? Because that's what sinners do. 
they sin. So in this letter, Paul wasn't taking issue with the Corinthian world, like the pagans being known for their sin, but rather this letter is Paul taking issue with the church being subject to the culture rather than the church having a, that influence over the culture. As we, and, we've, and Pastor Doug brought that out, and I've been trying to hammer that because that is the main issue. The church is starting to look more like the culture of Corinth. And that is a very problematic. And it's coming into the church, the Corinthian believers, though, they, again, they were saved. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, they gave their life to Jesus, but they took their freedom in Christ, and they used it as a license to sin. And you guys were here probably for chapter five. You have that story of that man sleeping with his stepmother. Like, how wicked. And Paul would tell him, it's like, guys, the, the pagan world wouldn't even do this. Like, they wouldn't even go to that kind of level. But the church is. And he says, you know, practice um, church, exercise church discipline, like take sin seriously. And today, again, we are living in a culture much like Corinth. Our society flaunts and exalts and worships sex, does it not? You look no farther than where? Entertainment. Music, the degrading lyrics, the sexually charged lyrics of some songs. I remember, I don't know if music videos are still a thing, but I remember like, you know, when MTV, I don't know if MTV is still a thing, but like you watch like music videos on MTV and it's like, dude, it's just horrible, horrible movies highlighting premarital sex or homosexual relationships, almost every movie, except the new Top Gun, by the way. <laughs> My plug for that one. It was like too clean. Like, it was weird. I'm not promoting that movie, by the way. It's just, I'm just saying, I was, sh I was shocked. I went, Mary and I went and saw it, and I was just shocked. I was just shocked. There wasn't an agenda being crammed down my throat like every other movie that Hollywood's putting out. Because isn't that the truth? Every TV show you watch, they have an agenda. Disney has a crazy agenda, and it's out to attack your kids and your grandkids. If you don't know that, I would be on high alert for it. I told my kids, we, we had a, a, a Disney trip uh, scheduled that we went to uh, a few months ago. And um, this is, I mean, they were crazy, but then they got crazier. And I just said, guys, this is the last time. <laughs> Unless God radically saves Disney. <laughs> I don't see that happening, but, you know, his grace is more powerful than my doubts. Um, I said, this is, enjoy it now. I just can't, I just can't go there. This, they're just, they're out to attack and they're out to get our kids. If you don't know that, know that now. Listen, our culture sex sells in it. Our society is obsessed. Mary and I talk about that. Obsessed with sex, obsessed with gender. Transgenderism is huge right now in our culture. And the city of Corinth was overrun by sexual sin. And the sin of sexual immorality had come into the church. And this is our warning as we go through this letter to not learn from the church of Corinth, right? This is our response to this. We don't want to be like the church of Corinth. You know, sometimes we learn from positive examples and sometimes we can learn from negative examples. This is the negative example that we can learn from. Let's not resemble this church here in 2022 in Portland, Oregon. And that brings us to, to verse 12 of chapter 6. Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So here Paul starts this section 
by repeating himself with these words, all things are lawful for me. Now, this could be a popular saying. Many commentators are split. They're in Corinth. Is this a, or is this just a term that Paul had used over in his time there over again? Um, but the church of Corinth felt that since they were in Christ, they were now free which meant they were no longer under the law. And because they were free, uh, there were those in the church there that didn't want to give up their sexual freedom. They thought that they could sleep around with anyone they wanted. And it was a lot like just their culture. They could just go and pick up a temple prostitute, whether male or female, spend the night with them. They thought nothing bad about it. Like, this is great. (laughs) We can worship Jesus and yet live this life. And they were confused. Now, they didn't have the New Testament like we have it. Um, And so when it came to their freedom in Christ, they took the mentality of, hey, all things are lawful for me, right? (laughs) Like all things, I'm allowed to do anything, right? Like I'm in Christ. Their argument probably went something like this. You know, the law of Moses, which they knew, tells us that it's wrong to commit sexual immorality, but (laughs) Paul taught us that when we came to Christ and Christ came into our life, that the law ended its reign over us, right? We're, we're, we're no longer under the law, therefore we're free. And I can just hear their argument. And Paul, like you even told us when you were here this very thing, and perhaps, you know, they heard a message from Paul about this. I think maybe it was something similar, like he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians 5. Paul said this, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage concerning the law. We're, not, we're no longer under the law. That's a good message. Maybe they heard Paul speak this. But then in Galatians 5, he also says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another. Ooh, there's that caveat there. There's the fine print there. And that was a huge part though of the church of Corinth. They were forgetting this. And these guys were saying, hey, you know, all things are lawful. And so what does Paul deal, how does he, how does he deal with them? He uses this phrase, all things are lawful, and he uses it though to correct them and give them right understanding. And so he says, you're right. Verse one. All things are lawful, but he doesn't stop there. There's more to the story. There's the fine print. But he goes on, he says, but not all things are profitable. In other words, not all things in life are going to build you up. In fact, there are some things, and this is application for all of us, there are some things in our lives that are only going to hurt you. Paul seems to be anticipating an argument from those who justified their sin in the name of Christian liberty. And his point is that liberty, freedom in Christ, has its limitations. Warren Wearsby in his uh, Be Wise book, it's a book on 1 Corinthians, he says this, we have not been set free so that we can enter into a new kind of bondage. Listen, Jesus died to set us free from sin not to set us free to sin. It's been said that sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. Listen, sin is forbidden because it only destroys. 
Sin never brings about life. Paul wrote in Romans, the wages of sin, the results of sin is death, not life. Sin is always going to hurt you. It's always going to ruin you. And God, who's wanting to bless you, do you know that? God wants to bless you. Says, I love you so much and I don't want to see you hurt. I don't want to see you destroyed. That's why I'm forbidding it in your life. I don't want it to tear you down. I don't want it to rip you off. And so in the case of sexual immorality, Paul says, it's forbidden because it'll hurt you. It's not helpful. Warren Wiersbe again said this, there is certainly excitement and enjoyment in sexual experience outside of marriage, but there is not enrichment. Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it is not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There is safety, security, and he will collect dividends. I like that. I like that. Someone put it this way. I was reading this week. Sex outside of marriage is like giving away part of yourself that you'll never get back. So sexual immorality only hurts you. But notice how he says at the end of verse 12 that it's also designed to enslave you. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Sexual sin, if you didn't know this, is one of those things that causes people to be brought into bondage. The more someone indulges, the more you and I indulge in sexual immorality, the more we will be controlled by it. You know, I think of James. James talks about the progression of sin in, in, in chapter one. He says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then verse 15, then... When, his, when lust has conceived, what does it do? It gives birth to sin. And then when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Death is always the result of sin. And you think of someone who is just trapped in pornography, both or a man or a woman. Pornography has an, uh, the ability to start small and seem insignificant. And maybe it can just start small by just you and I pushing the boundary lines to the moral code watching a movie. And we just allow, oh, that scene, ah, it's just one scene in the movie. And it starts there and then it grows and it develops in time. And, and then you look a year later, now you're in bondage, you're enslaved to it. And sometimes for some, it doesn't stop with pornography. Sometimes it, could, it can translate into an extramarital affair. You start noticing that the, the neighbor you start noticing your coworker. You start noticing whoever. And you're like, wow, you start getting this attraction for them. You start, you start entertaining that. And left unchecked, you continue to, to dwell on it. And you let it go unrepentant. And what does it do? It grows. It grows. Flirting starts. Oh, it starts casual. It's lighthearted in the beginning. But it turns into a full-blown affair. And it brings death. Only death. And if that's you if you're there in your mind and your mind is running wild with fantasy about someone who isn't your spouse, I want you to consider these next words that Paul wrote to Timothy. He says this, and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought captive. That when the temptations come, listen, none of us in this room 
are greater, are too far in our walk with Jesus that we're not gonna be tempted. We're all gonna be tempted. Okay, when those temptations come and when those thoughts come, we are to take them captive in the Lord in obedience to Christ, not dwell on them, not entertain them. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. Paul says every believer, you and I, Christian here today, needs to know how to rightly possess or control our bodies. We're not to be, he says, like the unbelievers who, who's controlled by their lustful passions. I think, Paul put, think of Paul when he put it this way later in 1 Corinthians. He says, but I discipline my body, meaning I beat my body and make it my slave. Why? So that, he says, after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That word discipline literally means to give it a black eye, to beat it black and blue. I'm not telling you to do self-harm, right, and physically harm yourself. That's not what Paul is saying. He's using strong language here in 1 Corinthians to say, hey, this is the type of hold that we need to have on our bodies and our minds. I think of Jesus, when Jesus is talking about sin, he went to extreme visual um, pictures. He says, if your right arm is causing you to sin, what does he say to do? Just tap it on, tap it on the hand? He says, cut it off. He's not really meaning self-mutilation. He says, if your right eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. What Jesus is referring there on the Sermon on the Mount is take sin serious. Sin is a cancer to the body. And Paul says here, he's like, sexual sin will hurt you and, 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 and I don't want it to enslave my body so I have to make my body my slave. Because it will, it, it won't just hurt you, it won't help you, but it will enslave you. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Now here, Paul is dealing with another argument that was going on within the church of Corinth. Uh, there was this argument that the believers used to justify their sexual urges. They said, sex is like any other body appetite. And they had those cravings and those cravings had needs and the needs had to be met. They had to be satisfied. And Paul says, food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. You know, you think about it, what happens when, when you're hungry, I go to the kitchen right away. Like, I don't let it, I don't let it linger. I'm like, I'm going to the pantry. I'm going to the refrigerator. My wife knows, don't have potato chips in the house because like, that is my like, guilty pleasure. I will eat through a whole bag and she does me good and she doesn't buy them. <laughs> but that's why I get hungry. I'm like, I go straight to the fridge. Well, they took it one step further and they said, okay, like stomach is for the food. Sure. Sex is all, is, you know, it's made for the body. And when I get an urge for sex, I've got to indulge myself. I need to satisfy that sexual desire. That was their reasoning. That was their logic. And they thought that they could, whenever they had that urge, could have sex with anyone or whoever they wanted. No questions asked. And what is Paul's response to this type of thinking? He says, yes, <laughs> it's true. That food was made for the stomach and they were both created by God for each other. But <laughs> there's the fine print again. <laughs> 
He says their relationship is temporal. Notice number one. He says that one day when their purposes are fulfilled, that God is going to do away with both of them. He's saying that a day is coming when God is going to mark the end of physical desires and physical limitations, the end of its demand for physical satisfaction. And I think that tells us something about the bodies that we're going to have one day in heaven. Like I can't tell you 100%, but I believe the bodies we're going to have in heaven are not going to need to eat food. I think we'll enjoy food. I don't think we're going to have that physical need. And so Paul says that hunger of food, one day God's going to do away with. But then Paul says something very significant at the end of verse 13. And I want you to notice this. He says, yet the body though is not for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Notice the parallel here. They were saying food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And they're obviously designed to go together. And they are. But when then they're saying here, God designed the human body and Paul steps in and says, yes, he did. But the counterpart of the human body is not sexual expression. It's not sexual satisfaction. The counterpart to God designing our bodies was for the possession and filling and usage of God himself. Our bodies are made and designed by God for God. Let me say this. Your physical body matters to God. It does. You're not a soul that just happens to have a body. God designed you on purpose. You are an embodied soul and God cares about all of who you are. Did you know that your health, physical health matters to God? Your physical health. Did you know that your physical pain Some of you have a lot of physical pain. That matters to God. But we can't forget this, that even your sexuality matters to God. Listen, our physical bodies were created by God uh, to be the instruments by which we worship and serve him, and they are very important to him. And that's what our bodies were made for, to be indwelt by the living God, for us to worship God, to serve him. Humanity was created, again, to be indwelt by God himself and to live in a close and intimate relationship with him. And let me say this, that is, guys, if if that hasn't connected with you, that is some of the most exciting, most remarkable, some of the most incredible teaching in all of the Bible, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The living God dwells within us. That's heavy, It's not just exciting, that's heavy. There's a responsibility that comes with that. And Paul says, the Lord has plans for our bodies, including resurrection. But sexual immorality doesn't line up with his design for us. Now, in a room this size, I don't know where everyone stands in the relationship with the Lord. There's faces I look around, there's faces I, I just don't recognize, there's names I don't know, and that's okay. But I know that you're here this morning, and that's great. And for some of you, this might be your weekly routine for decades is going to church. But maybe today, and I want to just pause before we move on to to verse 14 again. Maybe today you find yourself in sexual sin. We can't hurry past this. Maybe that sexual sin is pornography. And I bring up pornography because we don't have a thousand prostitutes walking our streets like they did in Corinth. There are prostitutes for sure. 
in, in Portland and in the surrounding cities. But today, the, the, the leading sexual sin in our culture is found in pornography. And if you find yourself and it's taken a hold of your life, uh, maybe it started just a once in a while kind of thing and now it's on the regular or maybe your flirtatious ways with your coworker has progressed and maybe you've committed sexual adultery, whatever the case is, before we move on, whatever your story could be, I need to tell you that is not God's best for you. It's not God's best for me. It's not God's best for you. He has made us for so much more. He created us for so much more. And if that's you this morning, I have to tell you, you're being cheated. You're settling for so little. God has so much more for you. And the call for you this morning, I would call you to repentance, to acknowledge your sin, turn to Jesus, experience forgiveness and healing. There's a healing that has to take place. Listen, God has purpose for your body. He has purpose for my body. And engaging in sexual immorality, whatever that sexual immorality may be, pornography, homosexuality, any sex outside of marriage is not part of God's purpose for you. So Paul is saying sexual immorality, it does, doesn't just hurt you. Not only does it enslave you, but it perverts God's plan for your life and your body. Look at verse 14 again. It says, now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. So the future of our bodies is not for them to be destroyed, but to share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is amazing. Paul said in Romans 8, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Listen, church, we are living for a different day. The world tells you, live for today. <laughs> Live for the moment, right? Whatever makes you happy, do it. Our culture is all about instant gratification. The quick fix, right? The quick high, the one night stand, like live for that. That'll make you happy. Eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow you die. You've heard that. And Paul would say, that is very short-sighted of you. We're living as believers for a different day. John MacArthur wrote this. Our bodies are designed not only to serve in this life, but in the life to come. They will be changed bodies, resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, heavenly bodies, but they will still be our own bodies. The stomach and food have only a horizontal temporal relationship. At death, the relationship ceases. But our bodies are far more than biological for believers, they also have a spiritual, vertical relationship. They belong to God and they will forever endure with God. I like that. That was good. I'm like, wow. Wish I could think of something that amazing to say. <laughs> That's the reality. God has a plan for future for our bodies. Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. So again, two times in these just two verses here, Paul says, do you not know? You remember last week, early in chapter six, he said the same thing. Do you not know? That your bodies are members of Christ. Paul is referring to, once again, things that they should have known. 
Maybe they forgot. Or maybe they're just ignoring the messages that he has given to them over the years. But in these verses, Paul is describing the magnitude of a sexual relationship. You know, the Bible says that sex is a one flesh union. And here Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, which refers to a man and a woman where it says that the two shall become one flesh. And the sexual differences between a man and a woman with complementary parts coming together to make a whole creates this one flesh union. And God designed it this way. Sex was designed by God in the context, excuse me, of marriage, of the marriage relationship, again, between one man, one woman. And just as you become one sexually in marriage with your spouse, you too become one emotionally, one physically, one spiritually. There is a connection there. There's a tie between two parties. But the temptation is this, and we see this all throughout our culture. You turn on the TV, we see this. It's to take the pleasure of one flesh union in sex and wrongly apply it between two people outside of the marriage covenant. That's what our culture is trying to normalize. Let me say this, there is no such thing as casual sex, not according to the Bible. I don't care what, again, you watch on your sitcoms or your TV shows, there is no such thing as casual sex. Sex between two people creates a connection and a bond and outside of marriage, it is a misapplication to God's original design. And he says in verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Paul is describing here the mystery of, of our union with Christ as a result of being in covenant oneness with him. I think of Jesus alluding to this um, oneness in John 15, where he says this, abide in me and I in you. This oneness that we have with with, 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 with Jesus. Paul described, again, this union with Christ in Colossians 1. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Paul is essentially asking them, because you belong to Christ, You're a believer. You've been saved. You're one with him. Are you really, church, are you really going to continue to seek relationships with prostitutes? Listen, when you and I believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are joined in spirit with him. He takes up residence, the Bible says, in our mortal bodies. And whatever we do in our bodies affects our resident Jesus. And so you can see where Paul is going with his line of reasoning. Because the Corinthians were taking their bodies to these pagan temples, they were picking up prostitutes whenever they felt like it. In doing so, they're taking the Lord with them. And Paul blasts them and says this, may it never be. Like, stop it. (laughs) To boil it all down, Paul is saying in these verses, how can you be joined to Christ and be joined to sin at the same time? May it never be. And the answer is to that rhetorical question, if you didn't know it already, you can't. You can't. You can pretend, but you'll die trying. But some of the Corinthians here, they saw nothing wrong with picking up a prostitute on Saturday and worshiping Jesus on Sunday. That was the reality of the church culture. And Paul says, may it never be. And then he says in verse 18, because you're in Christ, because you're one with him, he says, flee 
Verse 18, flee immorality. Every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Notice here what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, you know, keep putting yourself in the same situation with that same Netflix show and just try to conquer, you know, your sin of fast forwarding, you know, or or not fast forwarding, I should say. Just keep putting yourself out there. You'll conquer it one day. No, he's not saying that. He doesn't, he says flee, flee immorality. He, he, He doesn't say flee sex. I want you to know that. Sex in the context of marriage, of how God designed it is pure, it's good. He doesn't say flee sex. He says flee sexual immorality. Literally run away from it. Paul uses the Greek word again for immorality, pornea, which refers again to this broad range of sexual sins. And to flee sexual immorality means more than just not having sex with someone that's not your spouse. Okay, that's somewhat easy to do. Okay, but it means to flee sexual gratification or desires. Again, whether that's pornography, inappropriate movies, magazines, websites, types of books. He says, flee from it all. Run from it. Let me me ask you, how many people that you know, maybe this is your story, play with sin and they don't expect to get burnt by it? We dabble in it. You don't realize that a little leaven leavens the whole lump like we learned in chapter 5. You play with it. You're like, ah, this isn't that bad. (laughs) I think of Paul's admonishment to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness. Don't just stop from fleeing. I think it was John Corson that once says, flee temptation and run to the congregation. It's kind of cheesy, but I like that. It doesn't stop there. Like it doesn't just stop, like run away. It's like run to Jesus instead. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And if you've been around the Bible, there's one great example of this that we see in Genesis. The story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. If you're new to the Bible, you don't know the story, uh, there's a young guy, Joseph. He was enslaved. Uh, He was sold to an Egyptian officer by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar was a respected man, a very rich man. He was a captain of the royal guard. He was essentially the Pharaoh's bodyguard. And so Joseph is there in Potiphar's house, serving his heart out unto the Lord. And the Lord is blessing Joseph just with favor. And Joseph has so much favor that he's practically running Potiphar's house. Like Potiphar's just like, he he comes home, he just like reclines, you know, watches the game. Like he doesn't have to worry about anything. Joseph has all the responsibilities handled. And we're told again in scripture that Joseph, he's the whole package. Not only did he have a great heart and attitude, but he was young and super handsome. Those are not my words. The Bible literally says that he was handsome in form and appearance. Well, one day, Potiphar left for a business trip. And all of the sudden, I don't know if she had been thinking about this for a while and plotting it for a while, but all of the sudden, Potiphar's wife notices Joseph, gets eyes for Joseph. And the Bible says that she looked at him with desire. It's a scary kind of term. And she basically says to Joseph, come have sex with me. He's a young guy. But the scripture tells us that he refuses. And what's interesting about this is in verse nine of chapter 39, um, it says, there is no one greater, this is Joseph, Joseph's words, there's no one greater in the house than I. And he was withheld, and and he, Potiphar, has withheld nothing from me except you, wife, 
because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph knew that if he were to sleep with her, the ultimate sin was towards God. It was against God. And so he refuses. She's relentless. Day after day, constantly pursuing him. And then one day, no one else is in the house. Man, this is the opportunity. She grabs him by the coat and says, let's do it. No one's around. There's no accountability here. Come lay with me, have sex with me. And the Bible tells us in verse 12 of chapter 39 of Genesis, and he left his garment in her hand and he fled. And he went outside. When faced with this huge temptation, Joseph fled. He got the heck out of Dodge. Like, I'm out of here. I'm not messing around with sin. I know it'll burn me. And that's what Paul has in mind here. That same idea. He's writing to this church. He says, brothers, sisters, church. If you're walking down the road and you come across a prostitute and you feel this need for sex, flee from it. Go down the other street. I don't care if it's five miles out of the way. Do it for the sanctity of your body. For your, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't mess around with sin. He says, flee from sexual immorality. And listen, church, the same call is to us this morning. When you and I come across inappropriate images on the internet or watch risque scenes in a movie, turn it off. Oh, but I spent like five bucks on this movie download. I don't care. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Shut down the computer. Take a baseball bat if that's not strong enough, right? Like, Go to town on it. Flee immorality. Why? Because your body is for the Lord, not for sexual gratification, not for sexual expression. Look at verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, he says, glorify God in your body. This is part of the key in being free is to realize that you are not your own. You belong to the Lord. You and I, we've been bought with a price. You belong to him. He says, therefore, glorify God in your body. That word glorified means to magnify, to make much of God in your life, to exalt or to honor even God in your life with your body. Glorify God, church, in the things that you think about on a daily basis. Glorify him in your relationships with the opposite sex or even people in the same sex. Glorify him in what you allow your eyes to watch and your mind to think about. This is not a word from me to you. This is a word from me to us. And this is God's word. Paul would say in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Do all things. You're gonna speak about something. You're gonna do something, an activity. Do it all for the glory of God. So as I'm going about my day, Lord, I pray that my desires and my actions glorify you. I, be wanna, I belong to you. I wanna honor you. May that be our heart. Our, our bodies, they're a vessel that God desires to work in and to work through. And in closing, I just wanna say this. When I read this passage, I come away with this. It's as if the Lord has given us stewardship over our bodies. It's just stewardship, not ownership. They're really his possessions. He has bought 
us with a price. Paul says you've been bought with a price. And as all stewards must do in this life, we will give an account for how we handled his possession. Let me ask you this question. How are you stewarding your body? A temple of the Holy Spirit. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. And listen, the reality is there are some liberties that will take away your freedom because it'll place you into greater bondage. How do you balance this though? How do you balance? First of all, you remember and you cannot forget who you really are, who you truly are. You and I, if you're in Christ, you are a child of the living God. You were bought with a price. You belong to him. And secondly, because that is true, we should respond by glorifying God with our bodies. Hey, all things are lawful, right? But this thing in my life, it, Lord, is it bringing glory to you? If it's not, then I don't wanna do it. I don't wanna do it. All things are lawful for me, right? I'm free in Christ. My right standing is contingent on, on Christ's righteousness. But Lord, I want to exalt you in my life and with my life. Now, when it comes to sexual immorality, we are not free to indulge in it. But when we come to chapter eight, and we're gonna come there in a few weeks, there are things in life where we come to a crossroads and we have to make decisions. Do we do this or do we not do this? Is it sin? No, it's not a sin, but is it wise? And the premise is this. Is it going to help you or is it going to hurt you? And the heart should be this. Our hearts should resemble this. Lord, I don't have to do it. I don't need to do it. I just want to glorify you with whatever I do. May that be our heart. Because it's in that mentality and with that heart, that's where we find great freedom. Lord, I don't need to do this. I just want to glorify you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.